what exactly is soul care? Now, I've got to tell you that the guy that did that video, Phil Strout, he is the national leader of the Vineyard USA. And uh, as the vineyard has grown and expanded, started in America, as we went to other countries, uh, we decided that we didn't want to control the whole world, so to speak. So as uh, vineyard has expanded, like in South Africa, it's gone all the way up through Southern Africa. There's now thousands of, uh, of churches, vineyard churches. Each area has their own leader. Uh, as long as they as agree to vineyard values, be part of the vineyard team. But we don't oversee or control the rest of the world. We oversee and control vineyard in America. So with that long introduction, Phil, before he was the national director, used to be the pastor up in Lewiston, Maine, at the Vineyard Church up in Lewiston, Maine. And when we started this church 20 years ago, uh, I was really pretty... Um, inexperienced to say the least uh, regarding uh, church uh, church life or church leadership or how to run a church or I just knew God had called me to do it and I knew I wanted to do it because God had just put a huge passion in me for the church uh, and so Phil has this meeting with us and now he's the regional guy. Phil has been a missionary all over you know, South, uh, South America. He's running a really great church in Maine. And I'm so excited. Now I'm going to meet with our area. At that point, he was the, the leader of the East Coast. I was going to be meeting with Phil. And I was really looking forward to this meeting. And I had a hundred questions on how to do church. You know, how to do evangelism. How to have good worship. How to preach well. You know, I mean, I had like a thousand questions on how to do church. And I knew Phil would have all the answers. And, uh, and then Phil gets there and he says, okay, this weekend we're going to talk about soul care. And I'm like, what soul care? And who cares about soul care? I'm like, I'm, I care about the church. And the whole weekend was like, blah, 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 blah. And I left there and I thought, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I didn't get any of my... My question's answered. You know, where I was itching, I wasn't being scratched. And, and, uh, and then to my absolute amazement, like 10 years later, I'm, I'm having another meeting with Phil, and he, he, he's talking about soul care. The light went on. I said, soul care is somehow really, really important to this guy. I better sort of lean in a little bit and sort of get what he's trying to tell me. And uh, then I realized that he was onto something huge. Uh, and he, was, he had the right, he was right on. And basically, it's this idea of what we're talking about of the Psalms, the summer series we're doing. How do we have healthy spirituality? And I've got to tell you, it's one of those things where this might not be where you are itching. This might not be where you're saying, I really need to know this. But I also know from experience, this is one of those things that this is what you really need to know. There's a lot of other things you think you need to know. You know, how to help my marriage and how to raise great kids and how to read the Bible better. All good things. But how to have a vital relationship with God that's just you and God, that you can sustain it, no matter what other bad things or difficult things or great things are happening in your life. How do you have this vibrant relationship with God? This is what this soul care is all about, and this is why I'm so excited and passionate about uh, preaching out of the Psalms, because the Psalms does that for us. Now, last week, Stephen gave us a great uh, message on how to use the Psalms when you're dealing with lament, when you're dealing with difficulty in your life. And the Psalms give us a structure to do difficult things really well. But today, I'm preaching on the other end of that spectrum, 
How do we use the Psalms to enhance when life is going great or when we want to experience the fullness and the love of God deeply and richly? And what I'm saying is the Psalms give us a, a, it's a vehicle, it's a way that we can take that uh, and multiply it and enjoy it even more fully. It's like this. Maybe you like going to Cape Cod in the summer. I mean, it's a great time to be on the Cape. And uh, maybe, like me, you like to walk the beach or you like to be on the beach early morning or, or late evening. I particularly like early morning when it's still cool, the crowds aren't there. I particularly like to be there with a cup of coffee, you know, my hoodie on, and I just like the smell. I like the feeling of the open space. I just, I, I just, that's just, for me, it's, it's, it's life-giving. Now, I find the Psalms are super helpful like that. When you're experiencing something good, this is life-giving. How do you put like fuel onto that? You invite God into the process, and you see God's hand in the process of something that's really awesome and that you're enjoying. I mean, you might have a totally different personality. You might think the greatest way of doing uh, a vacation is going to the city. You know, maybe you think, okay, let's go check out New York City, Chicago, or whatever. And you want to go to a really awesome restaurant, and you want to have a great glass of wine, and you want to have, you know, good friends, and have a meal that you'd never eat at home, and someone's going to cook this incredible thing for you. Great! But how do you, like, add even more greatness to that? You see God's hand in that. And you say, you know what? God has designed us to enjoy friendship and fellowship and to have a richness in our relationships with each other. And while we're having a meal together and we're really enjoying it, let's see the, God's hand in it and God's love for us and God's blessing in it. And it becomes that much richer and more uh, intense. So that's what uh, I want to talk about as we look at Psalm 92. Let me just uh, pray and I'm going to have Bernadette read the psalm to us. Jesus, we just welcome your love for us into this room, that we can experience your love. Lord, I just pray that uh, as we go through Psalm 92, uh, this would be a way that we can connect with you, that we can experience your love for us, and we can, it, it's tangible, and uh, we can deepen the love that you want for us to have for life and for each other and for you. So just empower my preaching today and Bernadette's reading. In your name, Jesus, amen. Bernadette, why don't you read us uh, Psalm 92. Thank you. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by a ten-stringed instrument, a harp, in the melody of a lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O oh Lord, what great works you do. How deep are your thoughts. Only a simpleton would not know, and only a fool would not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like weeds, and evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, O oh Lord, will be exalted forever. Your enemies, Lord, will surely perish. All evildoers will be scattered. But you have made me as strong as a wild ox. You have anointed me with the finest oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the defeat 
of my wicked opponents, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house, and they flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. Thank you, Bernadette. I've titled, if you open your uh, insert, your bulletin is an insert, and I've titled uh, Psalm 92, today's message, Today is a Great Day. Today, today. Today is a great day. Today. Now, you know, we've got to understand when we say it's a great day, we've got to get our expectations in, in sort of in line with God's plans and love for us. Because what's happening for many folks in our culture is they're depressed because they see their friends posting on Facebook and their idea of a great day is they some other place, some other country, doing some other thing, which is just like incredible and fantastic. And of course, the weather's perfect and everything's just like gorgeous. And they've, you know, photoshopped the photo and it just, it's just like incredible. And they look incredible. And then you look at it and say, oh, my life just like, oh, oh terrible. You know, okay, there's a, there's a different, when we say it's a great day, it's not a great day like you're comparing to somebody's like Facebook, you know, dream world. It's a great day because God loves you. God loves you today. Okay, we've got to bring it, down, bring it down a little. Not only that, it's a great day because today you are in church and people in this church love you. If you've been around for a while, you are known by people in this church and you are accepted and you are loved. It's a great day. It's a great day because you are alive. You have another day to live and to experience uh, God's creation and the love of others. It's a great day. Okay, this is our, our if we can be in grateful and we can see some of the greatness of God and God's love for us at a base level it's hugely foundational for us because we start at that level rather than some fantasy world say in in Facebook so let me just uh, read again as we go through this this psalm uh, let me just elaborate a few uh, of the, the verses here it's, it starts off and it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. Now, you know, this psalm is, uh, has a little subtitle. Some uh, translations of the Bible you'll ha- will have it in there. In the New Living Translation, it says, A song to be sung on the Sabbath day. Now, the big idea here is that the, the Jewish tradition, folks would take the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest, but not a day of rest like where you go to the beach and you play golf and you just like hang out. No, it was supposed to be a day of rest where you intentionally get together in what would have been, you know, we call church in the synagogue in Shul, and you would praise God. And this would be a great day because you had the opportunity to get together with others and praise God and worship God. And the bizarre thing is this. While for many people, they would say, that, that doesn't sound all that great. God knows, because the way God has designed us and made us, when we get together and we worship God, something mysterious happens. God invigorates us, and we don't even realize it. And if we're doing this willingly and joyfully, God is like extremely proud of us and pleased with us, and he sort of 
magnifies his love and his joy in us. So, uh, you know, as we get together on the Sabbath or on a Sunday and we take a break from what we're doing from our work and we get together and worship, God is doing something great in our lives. But anyway, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithful, in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. You know, there's something interesting to me about what the psalm is getting at. Because as I said, there's a benefit in reading the psalms because it gives us an avenue to help us connect with the Lord. And one of the little insights that the psalm is giving us is saying, can you be intentional about in the morning and in the evening about recognizing God's hand at work? So, you know, here's a helpful little spiritual formation uh, tool. When you get up in the morning, uh, you might want to say, God, I'm just so grateful. I mean, particularly in a day like today. You get up, you, you know, get a cup of coffee, you walk outside, and it's just fantastic. After all the heat and mugginess of the past week, you wake up this morning, it's just so fresh. And you say, God, I'm just so thankful for today. Today is a great day. Thank you. I'm looking forward to what all you're going to do in my life today. I'll give you my life today. And that's your opening thanks. And at the end of the day, uh, you reflect back and you say, God, thank you for today. You got me through the day. Uh, thank you for your hand or however you saw the Lord in it. Another part of, of coupling this sort of habit, if you would, for, because we need to formulate in ourselves spiritual habits, things that start in, initially start becoming a little bit of effort, but you do it often enough, it becomes a habit where you don't even know you're doing it. So uh, if you couple it with your family and with meal times. Uh, this can be a really rich experience. So, you know, as we get busier and busier as a society, sometimes you need a pastor or someone like me to point out, like, sort of the obvious, which is this. If you want to raise great kids and have a great family, one of the things that can help you in that is having family meals together. You know, my wife just did an awesome job when we were growing up. She would, like, insist that I came home from work on time so we could have dinner together even if I had to leave, because at that point I was working in Boston, I mean, so I used to leave you know, early in the morning to miss the traffic. Liz would just insist, you need to be home, we need to have dinner together before the kids go to bed. And it wasn't like a super big spiritual exercise, but it, being there was. Now, if you can add breakfast together, uh, now everybody, you know, some early risers and some aren't, but if you can, if you can do breakfast together and dinner together, and you can do it together as a family, and you can incorporate, okay, a short little, like, thanksgiving for your food, but, Lord, if it's breakfast, thank you for the stay ahead. When it's dinner, Lord, thank you for the day we've just had. There's something which gets in us where we start developing an attitude of gratitude, where we start thanking the Lord and sensing the Lord's activity in our life. There's something good about that. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish tradition, there was a, there's a thing called the Shema. And the Shema, what it means directly translated, Shema directly translated means listen. And it comes out of this, these few verses in Deuteronomy. But this ancient tradition was something which has carried the Jewish faith from the beginning until now, this Shema. And the Shema is this reading, and it's like a prayer. It's sort of the equivalent for us in the New Testament of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, you'd, you'd say the Shema. And so the Shema, if we put it up there, is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Now, they just do the first 
they just do two verses of this, but I want to read all of it to give the context. It starts, it says, listen, O Israel. So listen is in, in Hebrew, Shema. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So it was sort of like a proclamation of faith as well as saying, okay, this is what it means to be Jewish. You know, we, 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 we say this uh, together. And, but then it carries on and it says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm uh, giving you today. Now, if you read this in context with uh, Deuteronomy, it's, you know, it's the Ten Commandments and it's the, the, the Jewish people coming out of, of exile. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders, write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if you go into a Jewish uh, family that's, that, that are Orthodox, you'll notice they have these little things on their doorposts uh, so that they can fulfill the things. On their gates, it's on their doorposts. And it's a reminder. But what I'm trying to get at is this continual idea that God wants us to get at meals, in the morning, when you wake up and when you go to bed. Be mindful, think about God, and communicate it to your kids. Now, you see, this is so simple that you don't have to be a theologian to do that. All you're doing is like, God blesses food, I love my family, be with us today, move on. And the kids get it, you get it, and you'll be blessed by it. So can we develop a healthy uh, habit, soul care, a way of our own spirituality being enriched, enriched by God and experiencing God's love by doing you know, simple things? Uh, so hopefully uh, you enjoy reading the Psalms or hopefully you'll take some time this summer to just you know, read a few Psalms. Read one a day. Don't rush through them. Just do what, what you know, works for you. But moving on, uh, so the first point if I'm trying to make here, if you didn't get it, is it is good to give thanks to the Lord. In the New uh, Living Translation, the translation that I enjoy uh, using, verse 4 is particularly powerful. It says this, You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. And I just love that language. You thrill me, Lord, because why? That's not a word that we use passively. You know, when we say we're thrilled, we're like really excited. It's not like... Oh, I'm so thrilled by the Lord. You know, what another drabby day. No, this is like really exciting. And what's particularly interesting to me, if you, if you compare this to other translations in the New uh, International Version or the ESV, it says, you make me glad. Nothing wrong with that translation. You make me glad. But glad, you make me glad for me is on this level. You thrill me is like, yes, I'm like, you know, this like, and that's what I, I like about it. So it's not like one's right and one's wrong, but one just sort of captures it a little more. But you thrill me, Lord. And uh, I think this is a, a good declaration that the psalmist is making. You thrill me, Lord. So hopefully we can be uh, likewise inspired and thrilled by the Lord. The third point I want to make here is looking for the personal way God has blessed you. And as I said in the beginning, let's lower the bar. Let's recognize that God loves us and that people love us and that God has done great things for us. And we want to recognize God's hand in our lives. 
God sustained us, how God has provided for us, for the great friends that you have, for those that do love you, and those people that do take an interest in you. Let's see God's hand in this. Now again, in a similar way, if we look at verse 10, it says, You have made me as strong as a wild ox. (laughs) You have anointed me with the finest oil. I mean, okay, this is contextually different. Not many of us are going to relate to being strong as a wild ox. It's like, okay, this is, you know, gregarian culture. But you get it. I mean, the psalmist is recognizing something about himself, and he's giving thanks to God for it. He's saying, God, by some gracious reason, you've just made me an incredibly strong, physically strong person. And all all he's doing, the psalmist is saying, and I recognize that God had a hand in that. It wasn't just, you know, my great ability to go to Gould's gym and pump heavy metal and I'm super strong. He's saying, no, somehow other God has given me a body that is strong. And I just want to give thanks to God for it. And I want to recognize God for it. Now, while I'm on this whole idea of NLT, uh, here's another good example of why I like the NLT. Let me read it to you in the more popular versions. This would be the NIV, the NS. The NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, the ESV, all have it the same phraseology. And it says this, You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Okay, now think about this. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Here is a Bible translation predicament. Again, this is not what's right and what's wrong. Uh, and I'm not like saying, okay, the NLT is like the only version. You, you all need to get the NLT, but you should. But, you know, and if you do... <laughs> And if you do get the one that's like the, uh, got all the footnotes, you know, there's no, I have no problem with other versions. But here's a translator's dilemma. The translator always wants to be as accurate to the original Greek or Hebrew as possible. Unfortunately, sometimes when you translate things accurately and directly, the English understanding is like, what is that supposed to mean? So in other words, when you translate in this case, uh, the Hebrew, and it says, uh, you have exalted my horn. You're like, okay, you've exalted my horn. Well, I don't know. Well, great. I guess I'm happy. That's why when you get a new, like a modern translation, what they're saying is, what is that original intent of what was being said there? And the original intent is, Look, God, you've made me really strong. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get what what's being said. That's why it's helpful to actually read in more than one translation because you just get a feel of what's going on. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Take something simple in your life and give thanks to God for it. I mean, it might be that you're strong. It might be that you're really beautiful. It might be that you know God has given you the ability of lots of energy. Or maybe God has given you the ability to see the humor in life. Or maybe God has given you the ability to you know, really be an encourager of other people. Or what is it that God has done in you that's unique about you? Recognize that. Don't look at all the things that you don't have. It's not all the flaws and the problems. And No, look at the things that you do have and give thanks to the Lord for it. Be gracious and be grateful for the great things that God has done and is doing in your life. The fourth and last point I want to make is this idea of being fruitful in all stages of life. Being fruitful in all stages of life. It says it here in verse 14. Even in old age, you will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. So back up a little bit, it says, for they are transplanted, talking about the people being like trees, transplanted into the Lord's own house. They flourish in the court of our God. 
Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. This idea of being fruitful, I have found as a pastor, is a big dilemma for people. We all want to be fruitful. And honestly, there's a huge frustration in many folks in church where they say, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do what's right, but I'm not feeling particularly like fruitful. I'm not feeling particularly used by God. I'm not really seeing what difference it makes with my enthusiasm for the Lord. And yet the Lord is saying he wants all of us to be fruitful. And the Lord is also telling us that when we are fruitful, it's extremely rewarding for us to be fruitful for the Lord. Now, again, just like you know, dial it down a lot. God has given us all gifts. We're all different. Each one of you has got a gift. Each, each of our gifts are different. But God wants us all to be fruitful. But if we dial this down, I can tell you that we can all be fruitful at all stages of life. Again, with Phil Strout, the national director, he's kind of emphasizing as a vineyard movement is getting older and saying, you know what, old guys, you're not out and done. God still has a plan for your life. God still wants to use you, even though you've been around for like forever. And what Phil is saying is old folks have a, a, a role in the body and their role is to be what he's calling sage, to be a sage. And what is a sage? A sage is somebody that's got life wisdom, who's been around the block. And Phil is saying, why don't you invest in somebody younger? Why don't you be a mentor to somebody younger? Why don't you encourage somebody younger that is trying to accomplish or would like to accomplish what perhaps you've done or something totally different? But can we encourage and mentor others? And so what all that Phil is doing is just saying we can all be fruitful no matter what stage of life we're in. But here's another thing that I found to be uniformly helpful for fruitfulness in each of our lives, no matter what age we're at or what stage in life we're at. And that's this. This is very challenging, but very rewarding. If we can adopt a mindset of inviting people to church, let me say this again. If you want to experience fruitfulness in your life, irrespective of your age, if you will develop a culture and a mindset and a habit of inviting people to church, starting with your family, extended family, friends, this is what will happen. Firstly, your life will become very much challenged and enriched because you'll say, whoa, this is like, this is like I've got to be bold. I've got to invite somebody to church. I'm, they might not like it. And if they don't like it, they might not like me. And if they don't like it, then maybe my friendship's going to be ruined. Okay, so there's risk involved. But here's the great thing. God wants us to live a life of spiritual riskiness, where we will invite people to church. Now, if they do come, they need to taste and see if the Lord is good. And you don't know if they're going to experience that the Lord is good, whether they're going to connect with God or not. It's a complete mystery. Some will and some won't. Your job is to invite and to see. Now, part of our, you know, renovating the church is this. You know, when is your house always looking the best? When you're about to invite a guest. I'll just give you a heads up. No guest, doesn't look the best. It's like a big mess. Guest coming, woo fix it up. So, now, for those of you that invite guests, you are, like, extremely sensitive that church needs to be really good. Like you're saying, I hope so-and-so's preaching. I hope so-and-so's leading worship. I hope we have great prayer ministry. I hope nobody messes up in the sound. I hope like the coffee is really good. I hope like, because like you, you, your neck's on the line. It's like, now, when we upgrade the building, we like, 
appealing to those of you that like. Now, for those of you who don't invite anybody and you couldn't care less, it's like, oh, who cares about the color of this? These bright, glary lights. Are, I got used to them, but like office lights, it feels like an industrial thing. Who cares? I, I, you know, I just love it. It's glary. It's all good. I just wear dark glasses, and baseball cap. You know, who cares? But if you sense. No, all I'm trying to say is this. If you invite people to church, there's something that becomes alive in you. There's vitality in you. And when you see that person that you've invited to church connect with the Lord and grow in the Lord, they'll have questions. And as they have questions, they're going to ask you for answers. And you're going to say, I don't feel adequate. I don't have the answers. Which means that you get in tune and you start studying and you're paying attention and you get involved and you become used by the Lord and blessed by the Lord and fruitful in the Lord. It's available to all of us. It's so simple. And the Lord is saying, get in the game. Get in the game. If you want to have a fruitful, blessed life, get in the game. That's all the Lord is saying. So I'll just uh, finish here with this. There was a dispute in England and Scotland in church. Isn't that often the case, disputes in church? And the dispute was like with the Scottish and the English. Now, if you've got any church history, this is like, this is as old as anything. And the dispute was with church. You got like the English version of how you do church, and you got the Scottish version of how to do church. Okay, so they got all the pastors together and they said, okay, let's solve this. And they came up with a thing called the Shorter Catechism. I'm just going to give you the Shorter Catechism. What is the Shorter Catechism? Well, the Shorter Catechism was trying to say, okay, what do we have in common? How do we take the best? Let's forget about all the things that divide us, let's like, and let's get the right phrase. And then, like any problem-solving thing, the hardest thing in solving a problem, you might not know this, is can you formulate the question? What is the question I'm trying to answer? Not just Because if you can think about what the question is, then you can figure out the answer. So they've got the dispute, they're trying to figure out, okay, we, we disagree with everything. What is the question? What are we trying to get together? Well, what they were trying to... The, the question that they came up with is, like, what is the basics? Like, what is the most essential thing? Can we, can we, can we answer that? Can we... So, so boiling it all down, that's why this is so, so super powerful. So the shorter catechism, the question is, what is the chief end of man? Okay, now let me just update it for modern language. What is the chief end of humanity or, or for us? And so what is the chief end of man? And the answer that they came up with is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now friends, <laughs> this is like distilled theologians that are super smart, super experienced, they're putting it all down, they're putting one phrase, and they say, wait, if you want to get the real purpose in life, if you want to see what the chief end of man is, glorify God and enjoy God forever. And it's like, whoa. When, when you ponder that, it's like, whoa, this is powerful. So why don't we end with that? Why don't we have the worship team coming up? And let's uh, put that into practice by glorifying God as we worship God, as we focus on God. And as we do that, let's expect that God is going to encourage us, that God is going to fill us, that God is going to put life into us and give us the joy that the Lord uh, does when we focus on Him. So why don't you stand and, uh, and let's worship.